Welcome to the Idaho Debates. Tonight, the Republican primary candidates for Superintendent of Public Instruction. The Idaho Debates is organized by these partners. Funding provided by the Friends of Idaho Public Television, the Idaho Public Television Endowment, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hello and welcome to the Idaho Debates at the Idaho Public Television Studios. This is the second debate we're hosting before the May 17th primary election. Tonight, the three Republican candidates for superintendent take to the stage to ask for your vote. The superintendent of public instruction oversees operations at the Idaho State Department of Education and is a champion for education across the state. The winner of the Republican primary will face Democratic candidate Terry Gilbert in the November general election. I want to welcome the candidates, Brandon Durst, Debbie Crutchfield, and Sherry Ibarra. Former Democratic lawmaker Brandon Durst served in the Idaho House for two terms and the Idaho Senate for one year. He currently works as a mediator. Debbie Critchfield served as the president of the Idaho State Board of Education for two years after being appointed to the board in 2014. She has also served on the Kasha County School Board. And incumbent superintendent of public instruction Sherry Ibarra is serving her third term in office. Prior to being elected, she worked in the Mountain Home School District. I also want to thank our panel of reporters who will ask the candidates questions here in the studio tonight. Betsy Russell of the Idaho Press, Jacob Thorrington of the Idaho Falls Post-Register, and Kevin Richard of Idaho Education News. I'm Aaron Coons of Idaho Public Television, and I will be moderating tonight's debate. To remind the candidates how long they've been talking are Jan Schlicht and Carlene Davis, volunteer timekeepers from the League of Women Voters. Each candidate will be given 90 seconds for opening comments and 60 seconds for closing statements. We drew numbers a few minutes ago to see who would go first. And Senator Durst, you have that honor. 90 seconds for your opening statement. Well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Idaho Public Television, for the opportunity to have this debate today. I look forward to it. In the next hour, you're all going to hear, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to hear two competing visions for the future of Idaho schools. The ladies to my left will provide a, a vision that's based on insider views, that believes that, that school districts know best and believe that we should double down on a system of education that hasn't worked for so many families. My vision, the vision of an outsider, is very different. I believe we need to do things differently. I think we need to put parents back in the driver's seat of their children's education. I believe we need to get government out of the way and let parents lead as God intended. You know, we've got a lot at stake right now in our, in our education system. We've all seen the things that are happening in our schools critical race theory, social justice indoctrination, the sexualization of our students. I've got plans and I've got the ability to make some serious changes that need to be made to fix our schools and to help all of our students succeed. At the end of the day, what we have to ask ourselves is if we're satisfied with our current education system. If we are, one of the insiders would be a great choice. But if you believe that we need to do things differently, if you believe that we need to get back to trusting parents again, then my name is Brandon Durst, and I would ask for your support to be your next state superintendent of public instruction. Thank you. All right, thank you, Senator Durst. Up next, Mrs. Critchfield. Thank you, good evening. My name is Debbie Critchfield. My husband and Dave and I are fourth generation farmers in the Magic Valley, where our four children attended public schools. I was a substitute teacher, a GED instructor for, the C for CSI, and a 10 year school board member for Kaja County School District. And for the past nine years, I have been Casha Schools Public Information Officer and Community Engagement Officer. 
In 2014, I was appointed to Idaho's Board of Education by Governor Otter, and then later appointed by Governor Little. It's because of my service over the last seven years that I have had a front row seat at the state education table, and I can honestly tell you, it's time for a change. I'm running for this office because our teachers deserve more. I'm running because our parents expect more and our kids need more. Great schools matter for Idaho. The core of my vision puts skills and work readiness at the center of an Idaho education. And it begins with a strong start when our kids can read and continues throughout as we prepare our students and kids for their lives and their careers. And it must take in a component of financial literacy. We need engaged parents and we need to provide teachers with the resources and, and skills and tools that they have for the modern classroom. And you need a superintendent that will listen, work and act. I have the skills, background, experience, and education to be able to fill this role, and I will lead on day one. All right, thank you very much. And finally, Superintendent Ibarra. First of all, let me begin by saying thank you to Idaho Public Television, the panel tonight, and the League of Women Voters for allowing me to speak directly to the audience of Idaho and the voters about why I'm asking for another term as your 25th Superintendent of Public Instruction. And I look back over the last seven years and all the progress that our students have made in education, we are leading this, the nation. For example, our education system has been ranked 31st in the past. Well, we have now moved to 17th in the nation for achievement. We've been ranked number one for college credits earned while still in high school. We are fifth in the nation for college and career ready, and our five-year graduation rate is at an all-time high. I have secured nearly $100 million of new money since I took office in this position. Under my leadership, we have brought our educational plan to life, and I am the only candidate on this stage tonight that is a certified K-12 teacher, a principal, a superintendent, and now your state superintendent of public instruction. I know that our over 300,000 students in Idaho deserve an experienced leader like myself that can talk about all their accomplishments and everything that they've done up until this point over the last seven years. I have responsibly handled a nearly an over $2 billion budget. I have the strong team in place to move forward and take us to the top 10 in this nation. I love my job and I humbly ask for your support once again as Idaho Superintendent of Public Instruction. All right, thank you for those opening statements. Now let's get right to the questions and for that we go to Kevin Richard with the first question for Senator Durst. Senator Durst, you would be the first former legislator elected state superintendent, and you've touted that as an advantage, but Idaho has a long history of electing state superintendents who have an education background and an understanding of the classroom. How would you strike the balance between political background and an understanding of the classroom when you have no education background of your own? Well, I do have an education background of my own, actually, Kevin. I'd like to correct the record on that. In fact, in the next two weeks, I'll have an edu education specialist degree in executive educational leadership from Boise State University. I've also been an instructor and curriculum developer, so I do get the inside of the classroom just fine. But what I would tell you is that what we've seen, and the, one of the reasons the state superintendent's office has been so inefficient and so ineffective, and not just in this, in this current administration, but in previous administrations, is because of a lack of understanding of how state government works and a lack of understanding of the legislative process in Idaho. There's no reason, there, there, there's, there should be no, no question as to why so many states who currently elect their state superintendents follow the same path that I have followed. 
They believe that, we that you need to understand the totality of state government, as I do. And having a master's degree in public policy, having an F specialist degree in executive educational leadership, and having the diverse background that I have uniquely prepares me to be able to do that. And I would just point out that if we want to do things differently in the state, we have to elect different types of candidates. We have continued to go down to the, the same beaten path. Kevin, you're right. We have just continued to elect folks with lots of education experience or people that were former school board members. But that hasn't worked. We've never elected a state superintendent that has got legislative experience, and I think that's a mistake. We do that for our governor's office, we do that for our attorney general, we do that for our congressmen and our senators, but we've never once done that for a state superintendent, and I think that it's time that we try a different approach and we get better results as a result. But to follow up, on your political background, you served in the legislature as a Democrat. You ran for Washington legislature in 2016 as a Democrat. You ran for Boise School Board, which is a nonpartisan race in 2018. Now you're running as a Republican for state superintendent. Are you a political gadfly? Well, I think what you can see is that the vast number of endorsements that I've had in this race come from the most conservative organizations in the state of Idaho. They don't have concerns about my former uh, party affiliation because they recognize that as a, as a Democrat, I voted like a Republican. In fact, in 2013, I was one of the most conservative members of the state Senate, including Republicans and Democrats. I'd rather have been a Democrat that voted like a Republican than a Republican that votes like a Democrat any day. And unfortunately, that's the brand of Republicanism that so many people that are supporting Ms. Critchfield tend to follow. And so that's why I believe that we have to be able to have a different approach. We have to be able to, to leverage that. And look, again, look who's endorsed my campaign. Some of the most conservative groups in the state of Idaho, some of the most conservative legislators in the state of Idaho. In fact, I just received word just before this debate that I received the endorsement of Right to Life of Idaho as well because of my 100% pro-life voting record and my work on the No Public Funds for Abortion Act, which prohibited Planned Parenthood from being able to indoctrinate our students as they do in Washington state. Yeah, I've got a call for service. I believe that I have been called to serve in a role of public service, and certainly I run for office because of that. But I also believe that there is a responsibility that we have as citizens to step up and to use our gifts in a way that are effective. And so I'm choosing to do that very thing. And I'm giving this, uh, the state of Idaho and the people of Idaho, and especially the conservatives in Idaho, a choice where they wouldn't have one if I weren't running. They have a conservative choice now, and they can vote for me in the, in the May primary. Mrs. Critchfield, let's talk about your record on the State Board of Education and one key piece of the State Board's agenda for the seven years that you were on the board was the 60% post-secondary completion goal. The state made very little progress on that goal and, and basically abandoned the goal. Given that kind of failure on that front, how would you uh, assure voters that you can set priorities and see priorities through if elected state superintendent? Well, I want to start off by saying that that goal was set prior to me coming onto the board and it became a part of a conversation that, that our board has had for many years. I fundamentally believe that the failure has been in the K-12 arena. What we see is uh, students choosing other options besides the traditional college trajectory and that's okay. And what we need to do or create, we need to transform how we have the high school experience, how we provide credit. Um, in other ways rather than in the traditional ways and, and how we provide the relevancy. And so as we, we look to matching the, the skills, the needs, the abilities of what our students would like to do and what we're currently doing, we see a tremendous mismatch. And so it's not surprising to me at all that we've seen that, that number decline because we've needed the leadership in the K-12 arena. Um, as you know, the, the board is a policy-making board and the implementation should have fallen to the Department of Education. 
but the state board creates policy at the K-12 level as well as the higher education right. level. So what, to what extent does the state board own the problems at the K-12 level that you're, that you're citing here? Because of the governance structure of the board, we ha there is a constitutional officer that's there to implement, that is there to come and bring ideas, and this is how we need to address that, and that was completely missing or late. Superintendent Abar, you talked about some numbers, but not all the numbers in the K-12 arena are as, are as rosy. 51% of K-3 students read at grade level on the fall IRI. The go-on rates have fallen and have fallen precipitously during the pandemic, and the state has failed to meet most of the benchmarks that the state established under the Every Student Succeeds Act. Given those kind of numbers, why should voters believe that you would have more success in a third term than you've had in the first two terms? Those numbers that I touted are not my numbers. They are a third party's uh, numbers that have ranked our state, and they are all um, something for Idahoans to be proud of. And I truly believe that Idaho is looking for the best candidate, which is a public education candidate, not somebody that's gonna stand on the stage and poke teachers and blame them for all the K-12 ills or say they showed up late to the party and of course they were a teacher, they're getting a degree at some point in their lives. I think Idaho, uh, I would caution you to be very careful uh, as we move forward and understand that we already made that mistake once uh, of hiring someone that wasn't a K-12 certified classroom teacher with educational experience. I believe Idahoans are looking for a conservative leader that is result oriented. My track record speaks for itself. You cannot argue with the numbers. I think some of the numbers that you're quoting relate to, I've heard my opponents travel the state and say, you know, 60% of our first graders are not reading on grade level, which is absolutely not true. They're quoting actually what they don't know, which is when uh, our students are taking the Idaho reading indicator, they're coming in to that grade level, maybe at that level, and then they're learning to read and leaving that grade level 60% on grade level. So Idaho has a lot to be proud of. That's why everybody keeps moving to Idaho. I don't think anyone believes for one split second that our educational system is broken. Now, do we have some work to do? Absolutely we do. And we found out during the pandemic that our some of our learners that had already had some of those gaps still need some work. That's our English language learners, our uh, students with disabilities, and that's why I'm seeking another term, because I know the work that needs to be accomplished to help our students achieve. But quickly, just to follow up, that fifth in the nation ranking that you, you cite, and you recite it repeatedly, it's a 2018 U.S. News and World Report article or study that really measures how many students took the SAT. And students in Idaho can take the SAT for free. I mean, aren't you cherry picking the numbers? Absolutely not. Those are our numbers from a third party. They are what they are. They're college and career ready, fifth in the nation, 31st to 17th in the nation for achievement. Number one for college credits earned while still in high school. And our students deserve to hear how great they're doing. And our educators deserve to get to hear that too. And I'll just share with you another piece of information I'm super excited to tell Idahoans about tonight is the fact that I had the opportunity about a month ago to sit around the table and listen to some of our results during the pandemic and our kids were outperforming nearly most of our peers in other states, or our slide backs were not nearly as minimal during the pandemic. Why? Because our schools were open, unlike the rest of the nation. Of course, we saw a small 
closure, but that's why I ran my in-person learning bill, is to make sure that our schools didn't close again, and to make sure that in-person learning was the number one option for our parents and our students, and it worked. It will continue to work on those things that we need to work on, like close those achievement gaps for our English language learners, for our students with disabilities. Those are all the things as a state superintendent and a former classroom teacher that I have the expertise in and moving our state forward. And I wanna be with Idahoans when we make it to top 10 in the nation. I've done the job that Idahoans have asked me to do and I, I have a proven track record of success. All right, thank you very much. Now it's time to move on. Our next question comes from Betsy and you'll be addressing Senator Durst. Senator Durst, let's talk about working with the legislature. This session, you presented a parental rights bill that you couldn't even get printed in the Senate Education Committee, and afterwards you became in, engaged in a heated and profane exchange with one of the Senate Republicans who opposed the bill that you had proposed. Based on this episode, how can your supporters have any confidence that you can effectively get things done at the State House? Well, that's a great question, Betsy, and I'm really glad that you asked because we should point out the two Republican senators that voted against parental rights support Debbie Critchfield. And if that shares her vision for, for Idaho's parents, then, then we should be running for the hills away from her candidacy. You know, the reality is that I'd, those two senators put politics in front of parents, and that's wrong. And yes, I got defensive about that because I trust parents, and I'm a defender of parents. And I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm not going to apologize for trying to fight for parents because they need it. They've lived through two years of a pandemic where their children were forced to stay home, where they couldn't choose whether or not their children were masked because of the policies of the two ladies up here on the stage. That was wrong. And I was trying to do something about it. Well, we're hopeful that those two senators will find a different place to work next year and they won't be in the, back in the Capitol building. And you can just look no further than my track record of having gotten legislation passed as a legislator. The Advanced Opportunities Program, which started under my tenure and under my leadership and under my writing of that bill, that's what started with, with, with it. And it had never been done before. Yet it's an incredibly successful program. The No Public Funds for Abortion Act, which we passed in 2021, a piece of legislation that I led the fight on and I actually helped draft. So there's plenty of examples of things that I've been able to accomplish, but the reality is that we need a fighter for parents. And if you want somebody that's gonna be milk toast and you're just gonna take it, I wanna point out there was no profanity for me, by the way, but if you want somebody who's gonna be milk toast and not fight, you're, I'm not your guy, but if you want somebody who's gonna fight for you as a parent, then I'm just the candidate for you. But Senator, respond to that, please. Uh, I was standing there and there was profanity. I was in the Senate Education Committee that day and there absolutely was profanity. There was, by Senator, by Senator. Uh, by my opponent. Okay, well, you can say that now, but there was, I, people that know me know that I don't curse and that's fine. But the reality is that Senator Woodward and Senator Crabtree both engaged in what should be despicable behavior, but unfortunately, Senate leadership swept that under the rug. But we need a change in Senate leadership. There's no change. There's no doubt about that. Mrs. Chris, Mrs. Critchfield, you would you response? like to respond? I, I would. Um, thank you. Um, I think that it's a, a poor excuse to blame people for poor legislation. I'm a parent. For, for Mr. Durst, he's repeatedly claimed, I, I'm a parent. So am I. I'm actually a grandparent. And so there's no ownership about who's the parent in this race. And, and the, the interactions um, were, were and are unbecoming of someone that would hold that office. And 
I don't believe that Mr. Durst answered the question. You said, how will you overcome that? His answer was, I'm going to work to get rid of the people who don't like me. I'm going to work to get rid of the people who won't support my legislation. And then he touted legislation that he had. I didn't hear anything that would exhibit any type of facilitation of leadership, uh, cooperation, which is what's needed in the legislature in order to accomplish these things. Senator Durst, you just said that you do not apologize for your behavior. The, it wasn't just the two senators. The entire Senate Republican leadership publicly criticized your behavior, condemned it, and called it, quote, egregious conduct unbecoming of anyone, especially a former legislator and current statewide political candidate. Can you work with lawmakers after that? Well, let's just, let's look who the messenger is, Betsy. The Senate leadership who stopped a bill this session to protect parents from pornography in their children's schools. These are the same people that are coming after me. So if you care what they think, that's great. But I really don't because I believe that we need to fight for parents. We need to fight for to protect kids. And it doesn't matter to me whether or not a senator is, is upset with me or not. But I would point out, the, and I did answer the question, we've gotten major legislation passed with my leadership, not just while I was a legislator, but while I was a private citizen. And the fact that, um, that, that that's being ignored by my opponents is fine. But at the end of the day, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to be friendly with those who fight against freedom, those who fight against parental rights, those who don't believe that children should be kept from porno pornographic material? That's the question. And I'm just, I'm fine with being, I'm quite comfortable being the person who stands up here today and says, no, I'm not willing to be in bed with those people because I believe we have to do better. I believe our parents deserve better and I believe our students deserve better. Mrs. Critchfield, please talk about working with the legislature. How would you work with the legislature? Exactly how I have been, uh, particularly as t for two years um, as uh, president of the board. And I want to point, point this out. Brandon, I don't know of any person who believes that pornography should be in a school. Then why I, I just don't. Hold the bill? He's your supporter. You're, you ask him, why did he hold the you bill? You go ask him. It was, from what I understand, it was poor legislation. So refine what you're going to do. There were a number of bills to support these types of things. The, the process is designed to get through all 105 members of the legisl legislature and then signed by the governor. And there are a number of bills, so I'll, I'll go on to this. So the, we have got to, and I believe as a um, state superintendent, one of, my, one of the priorities that I have is to reestablish trust with our legislature. I fundamentally believe that they have not had trust in our constitutional officer, and that's exhibited by uh, all sorts of things. And over the past two years, I've created the relationships. I have working relationships with people who don't support me because that's what you do as an adult. You figure out how to work with people. You figure out where the common ground is. What are the outcomes? What are the goals that we're trying to meet? And how do we take all those in? And it's not just the legislature, but it's other stakeholders. And how you do that is critical to the advocacy and how we champion from the top for our parents, for our kids, for our teachers, our communities. Superintendent Ibarra, on working with the legislature, you have been in office for seven years. Can you point to a legislative initiative, purely your own, not a gubernatorial initiative, that you've gotten through both houses? Absolutely. My in-person learning bill uh, gotten through both houses. Mastery-based education, the civics resolution. Uh, you know, I have gotten uh, over 200 
well this year there's historic investments uh, my track record speaks for itself over 200 million dollars uh, from the general fund for education in Idaho this year was spectacular and I had a group of legislators standing on the steps of the Capitol when we made the announcement together as a team that we finally got rid of the Common Core in Idaho like the voters of Idaho have asked me to do now we did that when I first took office we had a, a, a Idaho standards challenge but again the voters were still not happy and it was time to uh, look at those again uh, and again we had lots of educators and stakeholders working on that group and it, and it was just a great moment uh, in time and proves that you know I do get the job done unfortunately my opponents are showing up and there has to be something wrong with education there has to be something wrong with the leadership in order them for them to prove that they're one of the best candidates on the stage with no track record with no experience and no certification in Idaho's classrooms uh, you will finally see at the end of this debate uh, why they're going down that path. But I have a, truven, a proven track record of success. Betsy, did you have a follow-up? No. All right, let's move on to the next round of questions. That next round goes to Jacob, and once again, we go back to Senator Durst. Okay, Senator Durst, uh, you have said that you oppose the increased literacy budget and all-day kindergarten law that uh, passed in the legislative session. And you have also said that you no longer support early childhood education. What is your plan to address early literacy? Well, I think that we, well, one of the reasons that I opposed um, the early literacy bill has come to fruition, which is that now parents are being forced to send their children to full-day kindergarten when they don't want to. And I thought, and that was exactly what I predicted would happen, and that's what's happening in many of our school districts, and it's really unfortunate. What I believe we should have done and what I supported was putting money in the hands of parents so they could make a decision as to where their children went to school and for how long. That not, but that's not just about the kindergarten, that's also about what happens throughout their, 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 their K-12 experience. I believe we have to get back to trusting parents again. And part of trusting parents is trusting them with the resources to decide where their children go to school. A child and a parent shouldn't be stuck on the school that's associated with their zip code or the size of their bank account. A parent should be able to choose any school that fits their children's needs, not just because they can't afford to do otherwise. Now, at the end of the day, what we have to make a choice about tonight and in, on May 17th is if we want more of the same. Do we want to go someplace different? Do we want to have different solutions? If we do, then we need to find a different kind of candidate, someone who will fight for parents, someone who will fight for the needs of students, and not just, rec not just say and, and spout off numbers that say how great our schools are. If you really believe that, then you really should reelect Superintendent Ibarra. As a parent, I don't see it. I spoke, I've spoken with thousands and thousands of parents throughout the state of Idaho who don't believe it either. We need conservative leadership, and that's what I'm going to provide. Mrs. Critchfield, about 40% of kindergartners scored at grade level in the fall 2021 Idaho Reading Indicator. Are the state's chronically low fall kindergarten reading scores a concern for you? And if they are, how would you address them? And if they are not, can you explain why? I absolutely do believe that, that it is a concern and it is an area that we need a, attention to and, and how we support what parents are doing at home. And um, I want to correct something that Mr. Durr said. There, there is no law that compels a parent to send their child to full day kindergarten. And it is still a parent's choice. In fact, um, the legal requirements are for first grade. You don't even have to send your child to kindergarten if you didn't want to do full day. 
And so um, when we look at how we prepare our students, it absolutely has to take in how we help them at the earliest levels, how we help support what parents are doing, the education that's taking place, whether it's at home or in daycares or in churches or in public libraries. And that's what the early learning was designed to do. It was designed to put books into the hands of parents that were chosen by churches, by libraries, by hospitals, and boards that work together. This, if, if we're gonna be successful throughout the educational spectrum and get our kids reading at third grade, which I know is this age, which I, I think is, is too late and too narrow, um, we absolutely need to focus on that early preparation and how we support parents in that. Senator Durst, do you wanna respond? Let me just, let's be really clear. When, when, when Ms. Critchfield says it's not a requirement, she may be technically correct, but that's just like she, her saying that parents already have choice in school when they actually don't. If you're in the West Ada School District or the Boise School District right now, your next fall, right now, the plan is that if you don't go to full day kindergarten, you don't get to go to kindergarten at all. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fact that half day programs have been largely eliminated in the vast majority of the schools in the state of Idaho, just as I predicted they would be. That's why we need somebody with some policy background that can, can see the holes and the unintended consequences of some of the things that are gonna happen when legislation is proposed. Okay. If I may please correct both of my opponents. That new legislation that just came forward is optional full day kindergarten. I believe I Idahoans want a conservative leader like myself that no matter what initiative comes forward will protect local control. And that was one of my top priorities is making sure that all day kindergarten was optional. But it was based on those uh, statistics that one of the panelists just mentioned earlier. We know that over 60% of our kindergartners are not prepared as they're coming front, front through the door for kindergarten, but we wanted to offer that resources to parents if they knew that their child was slightly behind. Also, as a former third grade teacher, it, this is near and dear to my heart. One of my goals is making sure that our students are on grade level by third grade for reading. We know as educators, when kids come into kindergarten with a, grap, a gap that's already wide in achievement, it's likely just to get wider, and we wanna make sure we close that gap early so that the time kids get to third grade, they have the opportunity to succeed just like their peers. So again, I just wanna let the voters out there know that all day kindergarten is optional for the state of Idaho. All right, uh, did you want to do a quick follow-up? Well, I do, I, I want to clarify the we. The, the all-day K effort was brought about by an education task force that I co-chaired for Governor Little, and the governor is what has brought this forward, and I think that underscores, again, who is it that that is driving education, who should be, and who is doing it. Right. Again, my opponent has no idea who brings things forward. The governor does not stand in front of the legislature and pass legislation. I am the one who asked for it in the public schools budget and made sure that that happened this year. You are one of 24 other people that served on the governor's task force, including myself. All right, we're going to have to move on. Betsy, with the next question. Okay. The next question is about school choice. The Idaho Constitution mandates that the state shall, quote, maintain a general, uniform, and thorough system of public, free, common schools. Senator Durst, under your philosophy that money should follow the student, how can you ensure Idaho students in public schools are guaranteed an equal education, particularly in the rural areas of our state? Yeah, so it's a good question. In fact, if you look at my plan, which is available on my website, durstforidaho.com EPEA, the Empower Parents in Education Act, actually does a tremendous job of meeting that objective. Right now there's huge disparities on the amount of money that students get 
throughout the state of Idaho on a per people basis. In fact, if you live in Ada County and you cross Cloverdale Road, your student could see a $2,500 per student reduction just in general fund appropriation. My legislation corrects that problem. It evens the money, and it also makes sure that, makes sure that our rural schools, those, those schools with less than 2,000 students, never see a reduction in their per people funding. This is a superior way of being able to make sure that we not only provide choice, but we also make sure that we meet our constitutional obligations to maintain, maintain, make, make sure we have uniformity, uniformity in the funding of our schools, something that's been elusive to legislators for decades. And so I'm grateful to have a plan that will do that, that very thing, that will protect our rural schools while also being able to, to raise more competition in our schools so that we can see increased student achievement. Mrs. Critchfield. Would you have supported the Education Savings Account bill that died in the House Education Committee, a bill that would have allowed parents to use the money for private school scholarships? It would have been conditional um, with some study to understand, number one, that we're not defunding our public schools, which is uh, my priority, and that, as you pointed out, is a constitutional obligation. And secondly, it could not come at the expense of our rural schools. And I appreciate that you've brought that out. And of the three of us up here, I am the one candidate that fully understands what it means to educate a child in a rural setting. And I'm all about competition too. But I'm telling you, in Almo, Idaho, there is no competition other than online. And so when we talk about choice, we have to look at choice and how we take that in outside of the most populous and urban areas of our state, where it's limited to nothing. And so those are the two conditions upon which I would have moved forward, um, positively or not, on that legis legislation. Superintendent Barra, you often advocate for school choice, yet in eight years, in, or almost eight years in statewide office, you have not presented a meaningful school choice proposal of your own. Why is that? I am a huge uh, supporter of school choice. Over my leadership, we've increased those opportunities by over 40%. But what you've heard both of my opponents say here tonight is they are voucher supporters. I am the superintendent of public instruction. That's why you saw my staff and myself fight against anything that comes forward that siphons money away from public education. The voters of Idaho have entrusted me with their taxpayer dollars to support public education. I know our rural schools have a lot more challenges than the rest of, of our larger urban schools do. Idaho is over 70% rural. They have unique needs and the research behind that says it's the budget reducing uh, the things that hamstring those rural schools in the budget, making sure they have access to technology, making sure there is strong parental support uh, in those schools, and making sure as well that you have a leader that supports education, public education, as a choice as well across our state and touts all of the magnificent things they've done in the last seven years. But I will not support anything that siphons money away from our public education system. All right, let's give the other two candidates a real quick t uh, chance to respond. We'll start with Mrs. Critchfield. Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious with Mrs. Ibarra how she has increased school choice by 40% because unless she's on the Charter Commission, I'm not sure how else that would have happened. I would like to address my opponent once again who has no idea what it means to run the Charter School Division in my department. It's listed uh, on our website, all of the new charter schools, and also an and advanced opportunity. We advanced opportunities, charters. excuse me, like in a third grade classroom, we teach our students not to interrupt. I was speaking and you can have your turn in a moment. All right, let's, let's keep going. So with that, also, 
um, there is lots of choices within our system. For example, Advanced Opportunities has been opened up to private schools. That was my team that did that for the state of Idaho. But I will not support anything that siphons away those dollars from our public education system. Senator Durst? Yeah, thank you. So what you've heard from these two ladies, one who is completely opposed to competition in schools through an education savings account, and one who equivocates and depends upon which group she's talking about, ca talking to as to whether or not she supports it or not. I'm crystal clear. I 100% support education savings accounts. I believe that we should have the public schools competing with private schools for money and for students. That is how competition works. That is a part of the Republican platform, and I 100% support it. All right, we've got to move on. Kevin, with the next question. Senator Durst, you've talked a lot this evening about offering voters something different, something that is not more of the same. So let's talk about graduation rates. What specifically would you do differently to improve Idaho's graduation rates? I think, I don't want to beat a dead, dead horse here, but this goes back to school choice. If you're in a district that's not working, then being able to leverage your authority as a parent to take that money someplace else is how we improve school choice, or is, is how we improve our graduation rates. You find a school that is going to work for you. And to help address the question of what happens in one of these small school districts, you can have school choice in every, every part of the state of Idaho. All you need to do is find five other families and open up a micro school or what we call a pod. You can do that anywhere in the state of Idaho. In fact, there was a really great study that came out by the Cato Institute recently that showed that very thing. This is how conservatives govern. They don't let what hasn't been, they don't let the, the current system keep them from trying something different. And that's why I keep pushing for it, because I know that these things can work. If, in fact, school choice, when it's been implemented in other states, has seen an improvement, not only for students that choose that school choice to go outside of the public system, but it has also improved the outcomes for students that stay in this system as well. That's something we should be doing here in Idaho, and why we aren't is just because of a lack of leadership. But isn't it a fact that most school choice options are centered in urban areas or suburban areas in the state? When you think about charter schools, how do you expand school choice into the arena of improving graduation rates? In well, again, rural Idaho. The, again, that's because we don't have a mechanism in place right now to have money for all students. If we did, then 10 families in a small community like Three Creek could easily take their kids someplace else and improve the, improve the area. If you were down, if, it, it, no matter where you were in the state of Idaho, if you can find some other families to get together, you can hire your own teacher, you can have your own curriculum, and you can do what you think is best for your kids instead of what the system thinks is best for your kids. That's called empowering parents, and that's what I support. Mrs. Critchfield? Specifically, what would you do to improve graduation rates? We've got to transform how we educate our juniors and seniors. And I want to have that anchored to a work-based experience, whether that's an internship, apprenticeship. We've got to provide the relevancy for what our kids are learning, how they apply that knowledge. It's not just about knowing, but it's about doing. Um, I've worked with a number of school districts over the last two years while president of the Board of Education to help develop uh, pathways for graduation that took in career technical uh, goals and traditional college goals. If a kid wants to get to college in Idaho, we know how to get you there very easily. But we don't talk about everything else. What are all of those options? And how we reimagine and rethink what we're doing. Our school districts want help. They want a leader. They don't want a spectator. Um, it, there is local control, but they want a partner that will help them be able to satisfy the needs in their community. And I believe when we do that, that we will see students that want to have the experience. It's not just, well, get through your, your senior year and then try to go on to something else. But they understand that what they're learning and what they're doing in high school has application and value to them outside. 
Superintendent Ibarra, you've talked about the five-year graduation rate hitting a record, but the four-year graduation rate dropped this year. How do you improve that graduation rate and help students graduate on time as opposed to spending an extra year getting their diploma? Well, as an educator myself and someone who uh, understands what's going on at the classroom level, when you speak about that um, number that has dropped, that's the four-year graduation rate. We had a pandemic, so that explains a lot. That means kids needed a little bit more time to graduate. Uh, so that's why you saw uh, the five-year graduation rate go to an all-time high. Uh, what do we need to do, though, to continue to make sure that we as Idahoans raise that graduation rate up? Well, we need career technical, more career technical education uh, uh, choices for our students and I'm proud to stay under my leadership uh, we have offered those at our seventh and eighth grade levels and for those voters watching tonight who have asked me about vocational credits in high school that's what it is it's career technical education uh, so we're now offering that at the seventh and eighth grade level we need more options within our system of public education I think one of the great things that happened during the pandemic is we realized how our kids rely so much on technology in a time when our parents will show up at the coffee shop in the morning before dropping their kids off at school and expect high-speed internet with their cup of joe, our students expect no less. And so that's another way we can keep kids engaged. A mastery-based educational system, that's why I brought that piece of legislation forward, to make sure that our students can self-pace and be self-learners uh, in that system if their school district so chooses to participate in that. Um, again, our kids need to have a foot in both lanes at all times. It is our job to make sure we're supplying those resources for them to either be college or career ready like we have done. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Our next question comes from Betsy. Betsy, your first question to Senator Durst. Senator Durst, we are now talking about the pandemic and its impact on education in Idaho. Tell me, what would you have done differently? You have indicated you would support a statewide ban on mask mandates. Doesn't that fly in the face of local control? Yeah, there's things that local control isn't appropriate for, and that's one of them. The most local control is for the parents. And I support local control for parents to make those decisions for their students. And I do believe there should have been a move by the State Board of Education to ban school districts from, or to, to prohibit school districts from mandating masks. We saw places in like West Ada School District where parents had to line up around their district office for hours to kiss the ring of the king so they could ask for their children not to have to be forced to wear masks, only to, only to have that policy reversed two weeks later. That should have never happened. Parents should have always been the drivers of that decision for their students, and I fully support that. In fact, I think that's just one thing we should have done. We should have also maintained, made sure our, students stay, our schools stayed open. That would have required some creative working with our, with our staff within our schools, having some, sh some shared opportunities between districts. But there's, the opportunity for, for, for in-person learning should have re remained. Let me give, give you a quick story. Across the street from my office was a private school and a public school. Throughout the entire school year, the private school stayed open and the children were unmasked. When the public school finally went back into school, students were forced to stay away from each other and they were forced to wear masks while they were doing it. On one side there was joy, on the other side there was bondage. I believe in freedom for our students, I believe in freedom for our parents, and as state superintendent, that's exactly what I've been fighting for if I'd had the opportunity. Mrs. Critchfield, what did you learn from the pandemic and what is your plan to address learning loss? 
Thank you. Um, and I, I know that it's easy for people that weren't there and don't know uh, to, to do some quarterbacking after the fact. And we, we look back on, on what we did and, and how we tried to support schools being open in person and what their plans were and what their protocols were. What I learned was this, that, that districts who had a plan and had um, an effective school board and a strong superintendent were able to navigate the pandemic. Those that were able to work with parents and that had open communication where they were able to um, be nimble and adapt to the circumstances, it's easy to look back and say, gosh, a couple of years ago, we shoulda, coulda, woulda. But at the time, we were in real time in a public setting uh, trying to help support what our boards were doing. They are locally elected people. And uh, Mr. Durst wanting a mandate that no one could have masks, it seems very similar to what if there had been a mandate that everyone had masks. I didn't want that. We wanted the ability for local boards working with their communities in what worked in their circumstances uh, to be able to do that. Moving forward, um, I think that the state superintendent maintains the role of, of supporter. You listen. You see what you need to do to help support those local decisions and um, provide the resources that help them accomplish their goals. Let's give Senators 30 seconds to, to respond and we'll move on to Superintendent. Two points. Number one, we're not telling anybody they can't wear a mask. We're just saying that parents shouldn't have been forced to put a mask on their child. Number two, it was, it was in front of testimony in the House Education Committee in 2021 legislative session. It was members of the alphabet soup, ISBA and the others, who said on the record that it was your office that was telling districts that they had to keep their schools closed. That was on the record. And, it's, it, and I can find the date for you if you'd like me to. I'm happy to put it on my website. We have the video evidence that they said that they are following the direction of the State Board of Education, who's telling them to keep their schools closed instead of opened up. And they are also the ones who are forcing these CDC guidelines on keeping children masked rather than giving the authority to parents to make that decision for them. Uh, I never gave a directive for schools to keep or boards to keep their schools closed. I'm not sure on the date of that. Um, I served as the chair of the Reopen Idaho uh, across the state on the governor's K-12 council. How do we get kids back into school? As soon as we went into soft closure, uh, which was ordered through um, the staging orders um, in the state, immediately my attention as president turned to helping support our districts to get back open in the form that they could, preferably in person, for the coming school year. Superintendent Ibarra, what did you learn from the pandemic and what is your plan to address learning loss? Well, I want the voters of Idaho to know this is why I have been a staunch supporter of local control. I did not institute a mask mandate, nor did I close schools. But I also want to make sure that everybody knows educators did an outstanding job in a time where we did not have a blueprint for this pandemic. And what I mean by that is we found out very quickly from parents, they wanted their schools open. And a lot of parents told me, I'm not a teacher and I found that out the hard way. Uh, so what did we learn? We learned that technology was a must, that parents want more involvement, uh, that we needed something called a statewide learning management system that could take attendance because we had a funding formula that funds schools that was based on attendance during a pandemic where everybody was missing school and there wasn't uh, the, the amount of attendance that could fund our schools. That's also why uh, you saw me support uh, at a board meeting last week moving away from that model into uh, more of an enrollment based model for funding our schools. So we learned a lot uh, moving forward, but I think the number one thing we need to do is thank our teachers for all the hard work that they did. And the other thing that we learned is um, we can, we shouldn't ever close schools again. 
Uh, and while nobody could have foreseen that and nobody did anything wrong, uh, we did see that there were some slide backs in our achievement, like I said earlier, with our English language learners in our special populations. And we knew that uh, as educators, but we'll be working very hard moving forward to close those gaps. So what is your plan to address that learning loss, to address those slide backs, as you call them? That's a great question, Betsy. And what I've been working with districts on is making sure that they're using their COVID relief dollars on those research practices that we know as educators work. That's high doses of tutoring. That's making sure they have a jump start into optional all-day kindergarten, after-school programs, uh, summer reading programs, which May 2nd my uh, department is hosting something called a SMART training, which is training all teachers around the state around uh, the science of reading and how to make sure to uh, intervene with kids when we see that they may have a difficulty with have difficulty with reading but again it's going to take an educator to know how to address those things and to get to the point where we're at in Idaho where we went from 31st achievement to 17th in achievement right now while we're in the middle of a pandemic so uh, I am pleased uh, we do have a lot of work to do I do have a plan uh, to support that moving forward that is based on feedback uh, from the public and just a couple more points uh, we're going to focus on reading we're going to focus on parental involvement and we're going to continue to make sure uh, that our educators have improved pay across the state because we know they were they were the number one uh, reason for uh, why our kids have been so successful all right next round of questions we're going to go back to Kevin Kevin if you could uh, address uh, Ms. Critchfield yes Mrs. Critchfield uh, the State Board of Education has said that uh, they don't believe that there is a critical race problem in the state or that there's widespread critical race theory being taught in schools. Do you support that opinion? Do you agree with that? As a systemic effort to incorporate it in schools, I do not and have not seen it. There are three things that I know about critical race theory. Parents are concerned about it being in schools and what their children are exposed to. Uh, our schools are saying we don't have it here and policymakers don't know what to do. I think as we, we look at how you define it, there are things that parents have brought to me that they believed were critical race theory and they may or may not have fit the definition. I guess you got to start with how does someone define it? Um, we know a lot more than we did a couple years ago when this first came around and I've seen more diligence of our school board members to be able to um, reach out to parents. They need more support. They need more help. Um, they don't need uh, five point presentations of, of how to do this or that. They need someone that will help them communicate. Um, and, and we want to encourage and, and make sure that our parents are participating in some of these very important committees and decision makings at the local level. Superintendent Ibarra, do you think that this is a widespread problem in schools? And to what degree have you and your department tried to track critical race theory? Well, I will say that at least we're not one of those scary examples in the Hillsdale College Journal report that uses Idaho as, you know, um, an example of CRT, I will also say that parents are concerned. And so what did I do? I sprung into action. One, I supported the legislation uh, that our uh, legislature came out with. I did not on April 22nd of 2021, like my opponents say, she was not in a position to take a position. What I did is I rolled my sleeves up. I got out into the classrooms. I visited government classes. I visited history classes. I talked to educators. And what I saw was the Declaration of Independence being studied, the Constitution, uh, everybody was in uh, good spirits and uh, said that they are more than willing to follow the law. On behalf of Idahoans, what else have I done? I've made sure I've 
investigated every single allegation that's come across my desk. Uh, and lastly, I did give a five-point plan to superintendents if I've traveled the state, making sure that they educate themselves about it and making sure that they take every allegation seriously. Parents are very concerned about this. Uh, in our state and so you must make sure uh, that folks show you the example and uh, you have focus groups like some of our superintendents have had they took advantage of uh, the advice that I gave them uh, they had focus groups they are asking people to point out examples uh, moving forward I will continue to do that on behalf of Idahoans Kevin? we have to move on okay. Senator Durst I suspect you have a different read on the extent of critical race theory in the schools so I want to hear that, but I also want to hear how do you define critical race theory? So it's, a, it's an important question for, for our families. Um, social justice indoctrination, whether we call it critical race theory, diversity, equity, inclusion, transformative SEL, no matter what form it takes, what it does is tries to divide our people into two groups, one that's oppressed and one that's the oppressor, based upon the color of our skin and our ethnic background. I think that's wrong. I think we need to stop it. We need to have real action. What I hear from my opponents is an opportunity for more talk, but not actually doing something about it. And that's why I've proposed, and I will propose as a member of the State Board of Education, to create a new policy under, under Board Policy 3B, which will create a cause of action if teachers or professors are trying to indoctrinate our students and they don't take the message that they should stop, that they're going to lose their ability to teach in the state of Idaho. That's what we have to do. We have to have a real plan. We just can't keep talking about it and having more dialogue. The time for dialogue is, o is over. Our schools are being, are being infested with these things. Is it happening in every single school district in the state of Idaho? No, it's not. But is it happening on a widespread basis? Yes. And I haven't stepped away from that position. In fact, I'm the only one standing up here who hasn't said publicly at some point or another that it's really not a problem that we shouldn't be worried about. I believe that it is a problem, and I think it's something we have to take seriously, which is why it's been a cornerstone of my campaign and something that I've been spending so much time talking about and listening to voters as they share their concerns as well. All right, we are out of time. It is time for your closing statement. 60 seconds for each of the candidates. We're going to start with Senator Durst. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you again to Idaho Public Television for the opportunity to have this debate this evening. As I said over an hour ago, you're going to hear two competing visions for the future of Idaho schools. You heard from the ladies to my left. Their vision is to double down on a system that isn't working for so many friends and families and so many students. A system that they believe is where the education system knows best and parents don't. My vision is crystal clear. I trust parents. I believe they should be in the driver's seat of their children's education. I believe we should get government out of the way and let them lead. On May 17th, we've all had a lot of concerns that have gone on. And on May 17th, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do something different. A chance to elect someone who will, who will change the education system, someone who will make our improvement, who, who will focus on parents, someone who will focus on student achievement. And on May 17th, you'll get your final chance to do something you've wanted to do for a long time, which is say, let's go, Brandon. Vote for Brandon Durst on May 17th. Thank you. All right, Mrs. Critchfield. Thank you. And again, thank you to the panel and the opportunity to share our viewpoints. Um, and there is a stark contrast here. And if there was ever a time to transform the needs of our education and educational system to fit the needs of our students in the 21st century, it is now. And we need a leader to be able to do this. I am the change candidate. This is not about the status quo. It's not about being tenured into a position with fuzzy data. It's not about political rhetoric. It's about someone who is a leader and has exhibited the evidence of that leadership. 
that wants to help our schools, that wants to help our families, that wants to grow our state in the way that we know that we can, that wants to restore the value of education. I am that person. I would invite the, the viewers to check out debbieforidaho.com. Check all of us out. Know who you're getting, know where you want to go, and choose your leader wisely. Thank you. All right, and finally, Superintendent Ibarra. Thank you very much to the listeners tonight uh, for watching this entire debate. What we have in Idaho is a great state, a great place to raise a family, a great educational system. And we know this because everyone keeps moving here to our little secret, our place that we call Idaho home. I care very deeply about our over 300,000 students in our educational system and all of the progress that they've made over the last seven years. And I know Idahoans want to continue to see our students achieve and excel. Our over 300,000 students deserve an experienced leader like myself who has the proven track record of success, the expertise of a lifelong educator, the one who already has a strong team in place and a leader who has the heart of a mother to do this job. I love my job as State Superintendent of Public Instruction in Idaho, and I would be honored to represent you once again as Idaho's 25th Superintendent of Public Instruction. And like the kids say, please vote for Sherry in the primary. All right. Well, thank you to the candidates for the time tonight. It's not always easy to stand there and take tough questions. We appreciate the time that you've spent with us tonight, as well as to the reporters who asked some great questions and to our viewers at home. Just a quick reminder, it is May 17th is the day to let your voice be heard. So hopefully we'll see you out there at the polls. You can learn more about the candidates on our website, IdahoPTV.org elections. That's going to do it for us. We'll see you back here tomorrow night for the uh, Secretary of State debate, 8 o'clock, both Mountain and Pacific. That's going to do it for us. Good night. The Idaho Debates is organized by these partners. Funding provided by the Friends of Idaho Public Television, the Idaho Public Television Endowment, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.